1: Conspiracy Show with Richard Sering from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
2: And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium, Christos Anesti, to all of my Orthodox Christian friends, family, and listeners. Christos Anesti, Christ is risen. Alithos Anesti, indeed, He has risen. Uh, speaking of the resurrection, the, the Shroud of Turin... Uh, will be featured in our weekly trivia question at the bottom of the hour and your chance to win a pair of tickets to my live stage event, Follow the Truth 2, happening Sunday, April the 26th at the Region Theatre in Oshawa. That's an evening event just two weeks remaining. Uh, so please, if you haven't already done so and you plan on attending, call the box office this week and order your tickets. We really want to fill the region theater. It's going to be a night to remember. And think about this. You'll never find these seven remarkable speakers under one roof again, in all likelihood. Someone speaking about the Zapruder film, the Lost Tribes of Israel, electronic harassment, remote viewing, spirit communication, the Shroud of Turin, and UFOs. Again, all in one evening under one roof. For more uh, more information, visit followthetruth.tv And again, call the box office at nine zero five seven two one thirty three ninety nine. We are doing another Hangout on air tonight. So if you'd like to join the, the live stream, get on up to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Be sure to follow and say hi. At Richard Serrett. Click on the link. I guess it's about three tweets down. It says, Tonight, April 12th, HOA. That's the link. You just click on that, and you are in. Just want to mention uh, the conspiracy show app. We are working on one, and it's getting close. Uh, Albert, the intern, and I were uh, speaking with the uh, the developer uh, this past week, and uh, we are very excited about it. It's just an incredible app, and we're going to be launching it sometime this spring. Uh, It'll be available for your smartphones and your tablets, again, very soon. So stand by for our our official launch. And I want to thank uh, uh, Sharon Foster and Albert uh, for all their work on that. And Eric, the intern, is here in studio. He's been very busy uploading audio from all our past shows. And now I'm very happy to announce you can go back all the way to the summer of 2012 and listen to all the previous shows of The Conspiracy Show, All You Have to Do, Uh, Subscribe. It's fast, it's easy, and free. To register, just click on the blue member area button. The blue member area button on the left-hand side of richardserrett.com. Answer a few quick questions, and uh, you are a member. It is one of the seminal cases of alien abduction. Most of us, I would gather, are familiar with the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction. That was the American couple allegedly abducted by... Extraterrestrials in a rural portion of New Hampshire back in September of 1961. Uh, but perhaps, I would argue, the best documented case of its kind to date is the Betty Andreessen encounter of 1967 in the city of Ashburnham, Massachusetts, on the night of January 25th. One of the most celebrated cases of the UFO abduction began. Betty Andreessen was working in her kitchen while her seven children, mother and father, were in the living room. Shortly after 6.30, the lights in the house briefly blinked. Immediately thereafter, a reddish light began to beam through the kitchen window. The sudden darkness in the house set the kids' nerves on edge, and Betty ran to comfort them. Her father ran into the kitchen to peer out the window and find the source of the unusual light to his utter shock, he saw five odd-looking beings coming toward the house in a well with a hopping motion. And so it began almost forty years ago. And here to tell the remarkable story is Betty Andreessen and Luca and her husband Bob Luca welcome to you both welcome oh, to the thank conspiracy you show you
3: so much. yes and hello to your listeners
2: a pleasure to have you with us wow uh, it's been well nearly 40 38 years uh, 38 years ago
3: mm-hmm.
2: now I gave a very brief uh, synopsis of what happened uh, right. Betty if, if I could get you to uh, just take us back to that date and fill in some of those blanks
3: okay well, uh, after my father had uh, rushed past me, I was not aware of it, uh, but he went into the pantry, pantry area, and the pantry was the kitchen plus a half wall, and then uh, the cabinets and and the sink uh, was located in the other half. And I could not see that he was there, but there's a window right in the front, and as you said... Uh, he was the first, actually, to see the five beings coming down the hill, and uh, I was uh, not aware of that until later. But uh, when I came into the kitchen, because I, I thought the reddish-orange light was either the fire department or the police department um, out there, and so I thought something was going on, and I went into the kitchen, and as I was standing there, all of a sudden, five strange-looking beings entered my home right through the wooden door. They were standing there. They were dressed in a blue suit. Uh, They had, like, um, a belt and a sash across their chest, and there was sort of an emblem on their shoulder, on their arm, and they had a large head, uh, gray skin, and large dark eyes. And this was very fearful to me at first, but uh, immediately, Scripture went into my mind, entertain the stranger, for it may be angels unaware. And this gave me peace and comfort, so all of a sudden, everything was all right. And the beings that stood there, uh, the leader uh, said to me that they were there and they wanted a uh, I thought at first, through the mind, they were communicating to me, and I thought they wanted something to eat. And so I uh, started to, I went to the refrigerator, got some meat, and I put it in the frying pan, began to cook it. And when that happened, the leader jumped back as if startled. And and then through the mind, I heard them say, No, 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 we want knowledge tried by fire.
2: Oh, hang on, You're, this is interesting, fascinating. Uh, first of all, the, the, they were communicating with you telepathically. Yes. But your were. first your first instinct. I mean obviously, you know, mother of seven children, you must be an incredibly nurturing person and your first instinct was to cook for these five humanoids that had just appeared in your home out of right. thin air.
3: Right. Well, the scripture was what went through my mind and so I thought, well, this this might be angels because of the scripture. And who was I to say what God's angels are supposed to look like? Of course, they didn't look like any pictures I had ever seen of angels with the wings and the, the long hair and a robe. Uh, they were dressed completely different, but I, I was trusting the Scripture, and I felt peace and love all around me uh, for some reason.
2: And, and uh, your, your seven children, uh, they, all, they were all in the house?
3: they were all in the house they were in the living room sitting down along with my mother and they were in a state of suspended animation now evidently the beings or the leader had put them in that state because then after uh... he had uh... jumped back i thought knowledge tried by fire the only thing i could think of was the bible it's been here for a long time and proven to be true and so I told him uh, I had a Bible in the living room there, and we moved toward the living room. And the the at this point, there was only uh, four of them. Uh, evidently, the one had come in quickly and had gone over to where my father was, and I could not see that. But the, the four of them were standing there, and the leader said his name was Krasga. And I reached down for the Bible. Actually, it was my daughter... Uh, Becky's Bible, because uh, my children were going to the People's Church, and the People's Church gave each one of my children a Bible uh, so that they would learn about the Lord. And I also, of course, would talk with them about the Lord. And so, anyway, I reached down after the Bible and I passed it to the leader. He put it in his hand and he waved his hand over it, and three other thinner books appeared and he passed them to the three that were beside him. And they held it in their hand, and without moving the pages, the pages moved automatically, but there was no print whatsoever on it. It was just like bright white light, and it seemed as if the three beings that were standing there were consuming whatever it was by their eyes, through their eyes. And uh, after that, uh, he gave me a thin blue book. Now, at that point, I was still concerned about my children and my mother just uh, sitting there in that uh, suspended state, and uh, the leader took my, must have known how my feelings were were because the leader took my daughter, Becky, out of it. She stood up. She could not move, but evidently she was seeing uh, the transaction going on of the thin blue book given to me, and I was told it was an initiation and that I was able to keep it for 10 days and I was to grasp as much as possible uh, out of the thin blue book because then they would take it back or it would be gone.
2: Let me just uh, jump in here uh, and remind listeners Betty uh, Andreessen Luca and her husband Bob Luca are joining us on the line to talk about one of the most celebrated, uh, well-documented alien abduction cases ever. Uh, now, it's interesting that you're... you're, you're sense was that these may have been angelic beings, and yet, uh, based on your description, it almost sounds as if they weren't familiar with uh, the Bible, because uh, the uh, the leader, it sounded like you said he made copies of it somehow. And, and
3: Right, he waved his hand over it, but the, the Word of God tells us also uh, that the angels would like to know what the Father is doing. And evidently, they don't have all that kind of information.
2: Okay. Now,
3: why they did that, I don't know exactly, uh, but that is what happened at that time.
2: Now, your father uh, was not in a state of suspended animation. In fact, he was the first one to see these five uh, humanoids. Right. Right. What is what is he? How is he reacting at this point? I mean, you you seem to be very calm. uh,
3: You know, the thing is, I went through regressive uh, hypnosis. To get a lot of the information out because I remembered an awful lot of it. But the thing was, um, uh, my father uh, also had seen the beings, and the the uh, the researchers were asking if they could speak with my father. And I asked him, "Would would you, Daddy? Would you please talk with him and tell what you saw?" Because he had told me uh, about it. But he says, "No, Betty, I don't want to because." Uh, he was afraid that, uh, you know, the government would get involved. Him being the man and me just a young woman, uh, that he'd probably get the attack.
2: Well, and his, his he was fear... worried
3: that his Social Security would be taken away from him.
2: Well, his fear of government involvement uh, turned out to be true, as we'll discover. Uh, Betty and Bob, uh, hold on. We'll get uh, Bob, Luca, in here as well to discuss the Andreessen Affair, the true story of a close encounter of the fourth kind, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
1: Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio AM 740.
2: Welcome back. We're discussing the Andreessen Affair, the true story of a close encounter of the fourth kind. And uh, Betty Andreessen Luca, her husband Robert Luca, uh, joining us on the line. And uh, we will get to you, Bob, uh, because you enter the picture um, a little bit later, obviously, uh, when you married uh, Betty. But I want to get back to your father for just a moment because he was again the first uh, the first person Betty who saw these odd looking individuals. These five and, and his initial reaction was he thought that they were hallow they were children dressed in Halloween costumes. Exactly,
3: yes. Yeah.
2: Right. And at some point did he did he leave the house and go outdoors? Uh,
3: not to my knowledge. No, he didn't. No. Okay.
2: All right. So he didn't actually see the, the actual. Did he see the source of the uh, the light? Did he see a craft? Did either of you see a craft of some sort?
3: I don't think he would have seen the craft itself because after they took me out there, uh, the craft was on the uh, a slight hill, like in the right in the back of our house, and there was a smaller window in the pantry area, and then the larger one was toward the front, and he just saw them coming down like a slight part of the hill and then uh, disappear into the uh, porch to come into the house. Uh, that's what he had remembered. Uh, as far as him seeing the craft, he saw the reddish-orange uh, light uh, that was flashing through the window, however. Uh, he did not go to the the back smaller window in the pantry. He went immediately to the right where it was out front because he didn't know what it was if it was the police department or the fire department. Just as I felt.
2: And uh, you mentioned this insignia uh, on the um, these humanoid uh, the, on their yeah. uniform. It, it, uh, was it a it was a bird or an eagle? Wasn't it? It, it? was
3: like an eagle. Yes, it, it looked sort of like a small eagle. The wings were smaller than what you you know imagine on an eagle's on um, frame. But I mean, it was—it uh, looked like an eagle to me by the head.
2: Now, some people have described. Uh, let's assume for a moment that these were gray. Uh, these are grays. Uh, right. Some people have described them as being uh, sort of unfeeling, uh, sort of you know cold, almost robotic. Um, did you get a sense of any, uh, uh, the, the word humanity is not the right word here necessarily, but did you get any feeling that they were empathetic, sympathetic, that they were feeling beings?
3: Yeah, I I, I felt as if they were aware of what, everything that was going on, because uh, when they heard, evidently in my mind, I was uh, concerned about uh, the children, and they took Becky out of that uh, suspended state. She was standing there, could see but was not moving around. Uh, Why I say this is because uh, uh, three or four days uh, later, after everything had happened, uh, she came to me and she says, Mommy, I keep on having a strange dream of strange people in our house, you know, and... When I had been given that blue book, I put it in my bedroom, in the bedroom closet up on a shelf, and I wasn't supposed to show anybody it. But because Becky, I was worried about Becky uh, seeing it and not able to let her know the reality of it, and so I thought I'm going to have to show her at least the book. You know, I wasn't going to open it up uh, so she could see it, but to at least see it. And I told her, please, uh, honey, don't tell your brothers or your sisters because I don't want them to be afraid. But they were here, yes. There was uh, strange people there. And I brought her into my bedroom. I took the uh, thin book down from the shelf in my closet, and I sat on the bed, and I held it in my hand, and she was amazed over it. She touched it with her hand. And when she did... Her hand, she lifted her hand, and there were all sparkles all through her hand from it. And ever since then, she has been able to write a strange language, uh, and I think it must be theirs. Uh, and, you know, it just on She can just write it out. And I think that it is trying to show people th- th- something.
2: Why did they presume that you would be able to understand what was written in that book if it was written in this language? What, were they hier- uh, pictographs, hier- well, there hieroglyphics? Were
3: pictures, there were pictures of, it looked sort of like uh, parts of the craft. There was the strange writing in there, I, I think, because, you know, I would pray to God, please let me understand this as I moved the pages, uh, you know, after page after page, and... Uh, I just was praying to God for me to understand what, it, why has this happened, and if they are angels, let me please understand some of the writing that is in there because it was unusual.
2: At some point, uh, you're you're taken aboard a craft, and and eventually you find yourself on what you believe was the mothership. Can you explain or describe that experience?
3: Yes, I I stood out front with them and. Uh, Quasga was the name of the leader. He raised his hand, and when he did, uh, the lower half of the craft became a sort of transparent, the outer shell, and I could see what it looked like underneath, like the pots. There was like three stemmed uh, orbs, uh, large crystal orbs on the bottom, and there was a smaller crystal orb on the top, and then there, uh, on the uh, metallic uh, stem. There, it reached out uh, with armatures and it grasped a crystal wheel, and there was this tube or something, a, a circular tube that was around uh, these three strange machines. So I saw that, and I've tried to draw, uh, remember in my mind, and draw down as much as I possibly could. So people would understand what I saw because it's impossible to say it just by words. Uh, By having the pictures there, it helps you to understand more what was going on.
2: Right. We should point out uh, that this is uh, in the Andreessen Affair, the true story of a close encounter of the fourth kind written by uh, Raymond Fowler. You may be familiar with uh, the Watcher uh, books and uh, Raymond, of course, an experiencer uh, himself. Um, You underwent a rather interesting examination. At at one point, uh, you were uh, placed in, you were submerged in liquid while sitting in a chair.
3: Yes, this was before I was taken to an unusual uh, place. Uh, Two beings were with me. They were dressed in silver suits and I went into a Quonset hut type uh, shaped uh, um, room and there were eight chairs all together there, and they were like sort of plastic or glass. There were four on one side, four on the other, and there was a track, a black track, that ran through the middle, and they placed me in one of these chairs, and they gave me uh, something very uh, sweet to drink, and they put things so that I could breathe, and then liquid was filled, filling the seat that I was in. And the 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 uh, researchers thought, well, perhaps it was something to transport me someplace, and I needed to be in, uh, immersed in a liquid or something, so no harm would come for me. This is what the researchers thought it might have been. But after it was finished, they opened it they, they drained it out and, uh the liquid, and then they opened the chair. And then I was to stand up, and one of the beings were in back of me and one in front of me, and we just suddenly started to move along the track, and we came up to the door and out into a cave-like area. And as we did, um, it was very dark there, and the two smaller beings put these black hoods over their heads, they did not provide me with one uh but we moved along the track and i could see i was in a cave like a long narrow cave but there were some openings on on the sides of both sides of this cave because i could see darker areas even though but because of their suits actually that's the only thing that seemed it was shining and that's the only thing i could see uh you know where we were as we moved along we came up to like a mirror, and we went right through the mirror into a red atmosphere. And in this strange red atmosphere, there were buildings, there was no vegetation, but there were these strange-looking creatures in there that uh, had like, uh, by the neck, it had two stems and big eyes at the end of those stems, and they were moving all around, almost like they were... Sort of like what frogs would be able to hold on to something and, and right. move around. This is
2: the red creature. We actually have a picture of it now up on the uh, the the, um, the the live stream. If people okay. want to look at that, and for those who who have joined our hangout, Betty Andresa, and Luca with us, and uh, uh, Bob, we will get to. You. Thank you for your patience. Uh, we're coming up at the uh, the bottom of the hour here. We have a couple minutes. I just I, I want to move things along here and and. Uh, w- how long do you think you were aboard that, that craft? Do you have any way of knowing?
3: Not really.
2: Okay, but I, when I you came... I really don't know how when, long. When was. you were returned to your home, you had no memory uh, of that uh, of what transpired. This was all recovered later through...
3: Well, no, I, I had a, a small memory of just um, a person, one of the beings, being in my house. This I remembered way up until... Uh, we had moved from the place, and we had built our own big house, and uh, it happened that I got a newspaper article that Dr. Heineck had out, uh, asking anyone uh, with something strange happening or craft or whatever uh, to please write to him. And all I had the memory of at that point was, the B, one being with the, the big gray head with the black eyes and being dressed in a suit. And uh, and so I wrote the information down, and I sent that in to him. Now, he filed it away in his files for three years, and then a group of uh, researchers, along with uh, Raymond Fowler, um, had inquired of him if he had any... Uh, uh, like people or beings, uh, that, humanoids, right, humanoids-type uh, uh, creatures that they could look into because that group was studying that. And that's how it all began uh, because um, they got in touch with me, asked me if I would undergo regressive hypnosis. Now, uh, the thing was, I had that memory of the being, uh, and so I wanted to find out, and I said, yes, that might help me to, understand what I saw. And then when I was put under regressive hypnosis, the information just flooded out of me. I was at times left open. The hypnotist left me open so that I would be doing some dishes or I'd be sweeping the floor and all of a sudden I'd remember some more of the what had happened. So it, it just came flooding out of me after. it, It was in my subconscious mind. Of course, we we keep everything in our subconscious mind that we see or do in all our surroundings and so forth. But it seemed as if through that regressive hypnosis, that tool, it helped to open up my memory of what had happened.
2: And uh, I guess you have talked about that perhaps they they implanted some knowledge in your brain, which would come out later. And And... Yes. Uh, um, in the interim, they had placed some sort of an amnesia block in your mind.
3: Right, right. Well, uh, during the process of um, uh, when I was taken aboard the craft, uh, whatever uh, that was, that they put me in the the liquid, and then we went through the red atmosphere, and we were on this uh, black track. Well, through the whole process, uh, the thing is, um, I, I there was so much to remember there. But as I came before uh, this bright light in back of a bird, and I thought it was a huge eagle, I was a little fearful at that time. Also, uh, what happened was the light was so strong, I think I passed out at that time because what happened is I remember waking and seeing a large hill of, like, ashes and um, were burning, and like a worm came out of them. And there was such a bright light there, and a voice spoke to me and said, I have chosen, first of all, it called me twice, and then it says, I have chosen you to show the world. And so I think that is the information that has been implanted in me uh, to let people know what I went through and uh, what is beyond what our understanding of our earthly life is concerned. There is more to life than we could possibly realize.
2: All right, Betty, stay put. When we come back, uh, your husband, uh, Bob Luca, coincidentally, or perhaps not, also underwent a rather interesting experience in 1967, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: pulled from his car, another abduction case. And uh, he'll join us when we return. The Andreessen Affair, Betty and Bob Luca, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away.
0: Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740
2: or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. I get a tremendous amount of uh, email asking uh, about the, the bumper music that brings us in and out of uh, the breaks, And uh, by and large, most of it is uh, Danny Elfman, uh, whom I consider to be one of the greatest composers of the the latter half of the 20th century and uh, the first half of this one, uh, for my money, Danny Elfman. So a lot of that music... uh, comes from various film scores that he's been involved with. Uh, Before we get back to our conversation with Betty and Bob Luca and the Andreessen Affair, it's uh, time for our weekly Follow the Truth trivia question. Your chance to win a pair of tickets to my live stage event, Follow the Truth 2, happening Sunday, April 26th. That's an evening event at the beautiful uh, Restored Regent Theatre in Oshawa. Uh, Tim will take the seventh correct caller, the 7th correct caller at 416 360 416 or toll-free 866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. Here's the question. Keeping in mind, one of our presentations will be dealing with the Shroud of Turin, and we'll have an exact replica of the Shroud at the event. Who was the first person to be allowed to photograph the Shroud of Turin. And it was this individual's photograph which demonstrated that the image on the Shroud is in fact a negative image. Who was the first person to photograph the Shroud of Turin? Again, be the seventh caller, the correct caller, through now at 416 or one eight six six seven forty. 740 4, and I'll be seeing you at Follow the Truth 2, Sunday, April the 26th, the Region Theatre. For more information, visit followthetruth.tv or call the box office at 905-721-3399. All right, back to uh, Betty and Bob Luca. The Indreessen Affair. Betty, uh, uh, I mean, if that wasn't life-changing uh, enough... That would be enough for most people for 10 lifetimes. Oh. You, you, your life was uh, turned absolutely upside down it again. It sure y- was. You, your, um, your, the father of your, your children disappeared. Mm-hmm. You, you lost two sons in a tragic yeah. uh, car accident. Your, your father passed away. Yeah. Um, and how were you able to, to cope with all oh, of that? It plus? was
3: the Lord Jesus that has gotten me through all the way, even till now.
2: All right. I want, to, I want to work Bob in here. Bob, welcome again, and thanks for your patience. Well, thank you. Uh, tell me the story. This is a short segment. We've got about f- uh, four minutes here, and we'll pick it up on the other side with you. But, but how? Uh, to first, tell me a little bit, uh, give us the, uh, the Reader's Digest version of your abduction experience, coincidentally also in 1967, and then explain how you and, and Betty uh, hooked up. Sure.
5: Well, in 1967, I was on my way to the beach. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day. I came to a uh, quarry, and there was a railroad spur going into the quarry, and there were five men working on this railroad spur. Um, but they weren't working. They were all looking up in the sky. So I looked up, and much to my amazement, I saw two huge cigar-shaped craft, very bright like, um, like polished chrome reflecting in the sunlight, And they were headed from where I was. They were headed toward New Haven, Connecticut. So I pulled my car over because, obviously, these were not airplanes. They had no wings, no tail section, no windows, no exhaust, no noise. So I pulled my car over, and I watched as they were traveling side by side. And then two smaller disc-shaped objects actually dropped out of these. One went off toward New Haven. One went in the other direction. I thought, wow, that's interesting. I watched till they were out of sight, and then I resumed my trip to the beach. And this was in a rural area. There were no houses in that area at the time. Uh, I got down the road a few miles, and one of the saucer-shaped craft came back, and it was pulled over uh, to the left-hand side of my car. It came down kind of like a floating leaf motion. It stopped several feet above the ground, and... I remember looking at it and all of a sudden there was a brilliant flash of a deep red light, almost like a ruby ray laser. And somehow this light took me inside this craft. And inside there was the first thing I saw was one typical gray and they had on a red skin tight uniform with a lightning bolt emblem on the left chest. Four others came up from a lower area of the craft. I was asked to remove my clothing. I was put on a table that I can only compare today to uh, possibly plexiglass. And this was a very strange table because there were no restraints whatsoever on it. And yet it was just like I was super glued to the thing. I could just, I could move my eyes and my head just a little bit.
2: Okay, Bob, I'm gonna jump in here and we'll uh, take a time out back on the other side. We'll uh, resume. With your harrowing tale, and then find out how you and your um, wife, Betty, uh, hooked up. Two experiencers, both abducted in 1967, now husband and wife. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government.
0: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. When you look at
1: the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740.
2: Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Congratulations to Teresa Sheldon uh who's in the 905 so somewhere sort of in the greater toronto area teresa's won a pair of tickets to follow the and she'll be joining me sunday the 26th of april the evening of at the regent theater and of course for your chance to win be listening uh every week at this time and uh, if you don't happen to win you can get your tickets at the box office 905721 Thirty-three ninety-nine. three99 follow the for more information. Teresa Sheldon congrats. All right, we are talking about the Andreessen affair. can you see that uh, you joining us on the hangout if you can see the book there. And uh, this was first published in 1979 35 years ago uh, and uh, now been uh, reprinted. Is there new information in the in the book Betty and Bob?
3: Uh, not on in the Andreasen affair. However, Bob and I have uh, put together a book. Uh, we've named it Lifting the Veil, because I've had another experience with the one. And uh, so I, we've done summaries of uh, the experience we've had and also our how we have lived up until now. So uh um, the book is being chopped at this
2: time. So. Lifting the veil. All right, well, we'll, we'll be uh, on the lookout for that. Uh, Bob, um, okay, so you, I, I can't uh, unfortunately spend a lot of time talking about your abduction, uh, but um, I, I think we got the, the basic details. But how did you and, and, and Betty uh, manage to hook up?
5: Well, 10 years later, I had uh, taken a trip around the country with a friend of mine. We was looking for work out of state. We left Connecticut, and we went down through Texas, California, uh, Washington State, and we were actually coming back to Connecticut. We were at a rest area, and for some reason we decided to go to Florida, which was thousands of miles out of our way, uh, round trip. I got to Florida, and my friend's sister-in-law lived there, so we were staying with her, and one evening during supper, she mentioned that she had uh, known a woman that had had a UFO experience. And I said, God, I'd like to talk to her, because I had mine bottled up for ten years. I, didn't, I told my parents and my best friend, and that was it, uh, because I didn't want to end up in an asylum or something. So I went down to where Betty worked, and she wouldn't talk to me, because the book's author, Raymond Fowler, told her, beware of reporters. It took me quite a bit of convincing, but I finally talked her into having lunch with me the next day, The next day we went out, I bought lunch for her, and I've been buying it pretty
2: much ever since. (laughs) Funny how that works out, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, that's how it went. (laughs) Well, and do you, the fact that, I mean, the fact that you both had your abduction experiences in 1967, do you, is there something at work here, do you think, Were were you being drawn together?
3: I think so, because uh, we also had a child experience, and that was in uh, 1944. So it it seems as if uh, we were drawn together.
2: Well, we we should point out that, that, uh, Betty, prior to your uh, abduction in 1967, you had other uh, encounters.
3: Yes, I did. Do you want to
2: spend just a moment talking about those?
3: Well, I had, uh, as a child... uh, Um, I was waiting for my girlfriend to come over to play dolls with me. I was outside in a little hut my brother had made, and all of a sudden a bee came in the hut, and it circled me, and it was a tiny ball of light. It struck me in the forehead right between the eyes. I went down and out, and I heard a voice speaking with me, and it said, the wee little one is coming along fine and that I would be very happy uh, very soon. Uh, So after that uh, experience, I'll let you know what Bob's childhood experience is. Bob will tell you.
5: Go ahead, Bob. In 1944, my dad was overseas. It was during the war, and I was on a swing set in my backyard, and uh, we were living at my grandmother's house. And I was on the swing set, and even as a child, I noticed an unusual light in the sky, And this light came closer and closer toward me. It stopped. It hovered above and slightly to the left of me. Uh, It had a domed top on it that looked like glass or plexiglass, whatever. As it tilted, I could see two what we would call typical gray beings in there uh, today. And they told me through the mind that they were preparing something for mankind that would be good in the future, and they also said that people like me, having seen them, that they had visited many, many people, and in the future, we, these people would meet, which proved to be uh, very, very true. And that was in 1944. So Betty and I both had experiences in 44, 67, and then 78. We were both taken together.
2: Um. Talk to me, uh, first Bob, and uh, and then I'll get Betty to weigh in, but talk about how various secret government agencies have invaded your your private life.
5: Well, the first thing that happened when the book came out, I think the government was a little dismayed that people were believing us. And what happened was the very first thing we noticed was these black military helicopters, Huey UH UH-1s and Sikorsky Blackhawks very low over our home
2: There's a picture of that, our... sorry Bob, there's a picture of that up on the, uh, the live stream right now right. This, oh, is okay. a photo... this is a photograph that you took in 1980, I believe
5: Right, over our home in Cheshire right. Well, th- This became a, an everyday thing with us didn't matter if we were in Florida, Connecticut New Hampshire, that was one. Number two, they brought in the IRS and we had yearly audits until the fourth year when I overpaid my taxes on purpose and that stopped they, uh, Our telephone was tapped We were followed, and as a young fellow, I used to build race cars and race on the street because there were no no racetracks near where I lived. Several times I was able to get behind the cars that were following us. We got the license plate numbers. I gave them to police officer Larry Fawcett, who was also a UFO investigator. They came back as unissued. So this is obviously government. Uh, On one occasion, Betty and I snuck out of the house at 3 o'clock in the morning, hooked up our camp trailer, and left. That was on a Saturday evening, uh, Tuesday, uh, two FBI agents with photo ID showed up at my job and questioned my supervisors and my coworkers as to where we were. Now, even right now, today, uh, I have a case with the FBI against the Department of Defense, the United States Navy Space Weapons Division, and... The U.S. Army both hacked into my computer within forty-eight hours.
2: How are you able to determine that, Bob?
5: Well, I had been a computer technician, and I had some a really good software. Uh, the software gave me the ID numbers, and then I went to Who Is on <clears throat> online, and it gave me the computer ID, the physical ad, street address, the owner's ID, the operator's ID, and I have a letter of admission from the uh... army inspector general admitting that it was in fact their computers since then i have tried to uh, i've gone through my congressman i've gone to the united states attorney general and i have no answers yet as to why this took place so i'm I have asked the fbi uh... to bring charges against them because this is a federal crime hacking computers and i have the proof i have the letter of admission So now I'm just waiting on the FBI to hopefully, uh, you know, be able to give us some information. And possibly I've been told that the government can be sued for this. Um, It's not, you know, we're not looking to make money on it or anything like that, but I would like answers especially why the Navy Space Weapons Division is on our computer.
2: Now, uh, we, uh, we had in, uh, invited you to join us on the live stream and appear on webcam on, uh, on the, HO, the Hangout on Air, and you, you graciously declined, explaining that you were nervous about appearing on, on webcam because you feel you're still being monitored.
5: Yeah, we, yeah. We, we don't use the webcam because my computer has been hacked, uh, a number of times. Oh, in addition to that, so yeah. uh, I didn't think it would be a good idea to have a webcam.
2: Uh, Betty, are there still uh, uh, still experiences yes, happening? There with... is. Uh,
3: I've uh, well, I've had many more experiences. In between, I had uh, one where they put an implant within me, and that was in, then in 1967. They took one of those implants out of my uh, nose. And they also checked me for procreation, but there was so much involved there. Uh, there were so many different times that we had some experiences. You know There's five books that are written by Raymond Fowler about the uh, different experiences that we went through. And now uh, I have had another experience with the and I'm finding out who the one is that I have been approached by.
2: Do you either of you have any regret about going public with your story? Mm, Not outside
5: of the harassment. Yeah,
3: just the harassment uh, was—you know—that was terrible at times.
2: And and uh, Bob, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Uh, obviously, the story's out there that that, that um, this was a stepson. Uh, was it your son? Right. Bob who in 2007 uh, came out and said that this entire story was a hoax. Could you address that for us?
5: Oh sure. We we did put a letter on our we- uh website com. Robert was did pretty well until when my uh father passed away. Robert had gotten involved at that time with drugs and alcohol and he was for some reason irritated he thought that my father should have left him the bulk of his estate and he harassed me he harassed the attorney that made my father's will he harassed his brother and sister and I finally I had enough I disowned him at that time that was in 2005 I wouldn't talk to him I told him don't bother coming around I don't want to see you I don't want to hear from you and I figured you know maybe after a couple of years things would cool down we get back together well, this was his way of getting even with me. Uh, anybody that reads the stuff he wrote can see that it's just, you know, it's a total confabulation. I mean, he, he put in that I, I never had the report from MIT on the uh, possible implant that came out of my ear. I've still got that right here in an envelope in my, in my files. Um, every, pretty much everything we had done had been documented. A lot of the stuff we saw had been witnessed by the investigators as well. Even, even the psychiatrist who returned after a couple of years to talk to Betty again uh, spent an evening with us at our home, and he himself saw two very unusual things happen. Uh, one, there was a heck of a uh, noise in our kitchen about 2 o'clock in the morning, and no one was there. Uh, he stayed till about 5. We got out of the house And we were talking in the front yard about 5.30, and this huge cigar-shaped cloud stopped over our house. While other clouds were moving, this one stopped, and it got thin. It was very thick in the center, and it got thinner out toward the edges. You could almost see the stars through it. And he finally looked at me, and he said, did you see that? And I said, yeah, but I wasn't going to mention it until you saw it first.
2: Right, so just another day at the Andreessen house. Uh,
5: Police officer Fawcett, once he started our, uh, investigating our case, he had the black helicopters over his house. He was approached by uh, the military and asked to sign a secrecy agreement because I, of... I have some...
2: to, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, Bob. I apologize. Okay, I have to okay, jump in. Okay, no problem. But Bob and, and Betty, I really appreciate the time uh, you, you've spent with us, and and I hope to have you back on if you'd be good for that, and we can uh, delve into this further.
5: Oh, sure. Our sure, pleasure. Sure.
2: Betty and Bob Luca The Andreessen Affair the true story of a close encounter of the fourth kind uh, which has been recently uh, reprinted of course from 1979 written by Raymond Fowler and uh, look for Betty and Bob Luca's book Lifting the Veil hopefully uh, soon The website for the radio program you are listening to The Conspiracy Show is richardserrett.com Check it out. Lots of great information there. Say hi on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And, of course, as always, follow the truth.
0: Live
1: from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma
2: Radio, AM 740. Thanks, as always, for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your earbuds, whatever the case may be. Christos Anesti, to all of our Orthodox Christian listeners. Of course, Easter being celebrated this past week by Orthodox Christians around the world. Uh, our family, we broke our fast uh, early Sunday morning at about two in the morning, uh, following the uh, the Resurrection Liturgy at uh, All Saints Greek Orthodox Church here in Toronto. Uh, I say break the fast. Uh just, Forty days uh, without dessert. That was what I did for Lent. And, you know, that's tough for me, (laughs) I got to say. But it's supposed to be. It's intended to be, you know, difficult. You have to give up something that's important to you. That's what Lent is about, right? So that we remember. We remember uh, the sacrifice uh, and the crucifixion. But um, to think of it, uh, the way I ate, I, I didn't break the fast. I smashed it into a thousand pieces. Uh, and again today, uh, the mighty Aphrodite makes this incredible traditional Greek Easter bread. It's called tsareki, tsareki and uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, Albert and Eric, the interns, are in studio with me tonight. Producer Tim Spreen is in the next studio performing his technical wizardry uh, along with Sebastian. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got some people hanging out tonight. It's nice. You know, to to have uh, the station with uh, uh, filled with people. I, I I often feel like a ghost here. I must say, at night, when there's no one around, it's just Tim and I usually. But uh, we've got we've got some extra hands here. Uh, get on up to richardserrett.com. Uh, Elbert has posted some fascinating stories in the slide carousel. An interesting exchange between Japan's defense minister and a journalist regarding incursions into Japanese airspace by unidentified flying objects. And conservative columnist and ABC commentator George Will, who's one of my favorites, uh, says it's official. Richard Nixon, in fact, committed treason during the Vietnam War. According to a new release of extended versions of Nixon's papers in 1968 as a presidential candidate, Nixon ordered his liaison to the South Vietnam government to persuade them to refuse a ceasefire being brokered by President Lyndon Johnson. Again, remember, Nixon was a candidate in 1960, a citizen. He was running to be president. And he convinced his liaison in South Vietnam to interfere, intrude into official government negotiations with a foreign nation. That's against the Logan Act. So this traitorous act has been speculated about for years... And, uh, you guessed it, dismissed for years as just another crazy conspiracy theory. And now we have confirmation by none other than George Will. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, it's our monthly Paranormal News Roundup with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Rosemary will discuss recent DNA testing on a 19th century Russian ape woman. Uh, and we'll discuss the remarkable case of a murder that was solved by the ghost of the victim. And much more. That's paranormal researcher Rosemary Ellen Guiley at the bottom of the hour. Of course, Rosemary will be on stage with me at Follow the Truth 2, Sunday, April 26th. And uh, she'll be performing a spirit communication experiment with her spirit boxes. Uh, And the Regent Theatre, if you haven't seen it, right there on King Street, downtown Oshawa, a beautiful old theatre dating back to at least the vaudeville era, so 1920s, and I'm guessing there must be some Uh, paranormal activity there, and uh, hopefully Rosemary will uncover it live on stage. Uh, I've heard stories. If you haven't purchased your tickets, you better do it this week, because time is running out. Uh, Let me give you the box office number very quickly. It's 905-721-3399. And for more information, of course, visit followthetruth.tv. There has been a lot of online buzz uh, around some photographs that one researcher has called a smoking gun when it comes to proof that aliens are visiting Earth. And uh, even though there are many articles and blogs and interviews and forum posts about these pictures, the public hasn't really actually seen them. However, they will be displayed during a special event uh, hosted by a Mexican uh, broadcast journalist uh, in, in Mexico City, May the 5th. That's coming up. They've been labeled the Roswell Slides and supposedly show what some say represents stunning visual evidence of a humanoid creature that was found, crashed near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Here to tell us more are two of the foremost Roswell investigators, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt. Tom and Don, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
4: Nice to be with you, Richard. Good evening, Richard. Good to be with you again.
2: Ah, thank Don you. and Tom. Yes, thank you for, uh, for checking in. And we do have, uh, there's Tom on the uh, HOA. It's a, uh, a great image. Good to see you, Tom. And we've got uh, Don, you're on the, on the phone. Right. We should mention that uh, the two of you have co-authored a number of uh, books. The Roswell Dig Diaries, Sci-Fi Declassified, uh, Witness to Roswell, and uh, Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson. Um, l- let me begin with you, Tom, and uh, Don, you jump in when, uh, when, when when you feel appropriate. Tom, how did the two of you uh, become involved uh, with the Roswell Slides?
6: It's an amazing story, Richard. Uh, it's almost uh, three years ago we, uh, well, I received an email from the owner of the Slides. Never heard of them before, and uh Of course, we've had approaches before from others that claim to have uh, various items, and uh, I wanted, without going further, I wanted to actually see what he had, and uh, so we signed. We had to sign non-disclosures uh, to in order to see them. He emailed the the images, and when I first looked at them, and this is like three years ago now. A chill went down my spine. That always happens when I receive new information, a new witness, something like that. Even after a quarter century of of, uh, researching this case, I I still get excited when new information is presented. And looking at these slides, uh, uh, to me, they they rung true because there were things on them that uh, had been described to us by witnesses. And it's an amazing story how the owner came to possess the slides, because they are from the late 1940s. They've been authenticated, and uh, it, it, that's how it, it came to Don Schmidt and myself. Was uh, The uh, the owner had uh, looked online. He was not a UFO guy, and he looked online under Roswell, and uh, he came across our name somewhere along the line and uh, contacted
2: us. And, and Don, could you explain uh, how this individual that contacted you came in possession of these slides?
4: Well, I always, I always emphasize for the novice that my partner Tom is just his dissertation away from his Ph.D. in anthropology. And I was the first one to meet with the owner. I drove to meet with him. I spent the better part of two hours, so I was able to actually look and handle this evidence, these slides. And that's when, as Tom described, we were asked to sign the non disclosure agreement, which we have professionally honored all these years. We've been criticized for it roundly that we haven't brought others into our confidence, we haven't released information, we haven't released the slides, but again we've uh, been bound by this contractual agreement for no other reason than let's investigate them, let's study them, let's see if indeed they are depicting something extraordinary. And for Tom's background, when he tells me, as all of the other legitimate anthropologists who have examined these slides tell us that it clearly depicts something extraordinary something beyond the pale something uh, beyond you know any human condition that many of the again novices have attributed to the appearance of, of the body contained within these two slides i'm going to believe the experts i'm going to believe tom carey Because that's his background. When he says, Don, this is something that does not represent any human condition, I stand with my partner. And that's why Tom and I spent the better part of the first year wrestling and going back and forth with with the owner as to what the ramifications would be for going out on a limb for standing behind something that is so extraordinary. And we realize that, you know, our careers are at stake here, our reputations, our credibility. And yet we've stood together since the beginning, and we will continue to stand, stand together. But I guess what I personally do resent is that so many of the skeptics have practically, you know, called for a Roswell Caliphate regarding the slides. That somehow they have done all they can to link them with Roswell. They're the ones who have labeled them the Roswell slides. We haven't done that, right? And they are going so far as to say that well, if the slides go down, so does Roswell. If if Kerry and Schmidt go down, so does Roswell. Well, that's nonsense.
2: What was that's it, Tom, uh, that when you you saw the slide, uh, uh, or Don, uh, either of you, that that. Uh, you you said that the image on the slide there were the suggestions or that there was evidence there that that linked it to other eye eyewitness descriptions of what alien bodies? What was it?
6: Yes, uh, the uh, first of all the overall appearance of it. It was uh, in the slides. Uh, there's a uh, uh, a woman standing beside the the glass slab that it's lying on. Uh, the body appears to be three-and-a-half to four feet tall. Uh, the overriding feature is the large, inverted, pear-shaped head. But the, there's one item on it on the top of the head that was described by one of the first-hand witnesses, uh, one of the first ones to the craft site, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the fireman, local Roswell fireman named Dan Dwyer who described, when he got home that night, he told his family about it. Uh, they, you know, they asked them, you know, well, what did it look like? And uh, instead of giving a detailed description, he just said, Child of the Earth. It looked like the Child of the Earth. Now, to me, I'm a city fellow, uh, born and raised in Philadelphia. Uh, I didn't know what the Child of the Earth was. Well, the Child of the Earth is a... Uh, uh, it's uh, another name for it's the Jerusalem cricket or a potato bug. Well, it's it's one thing on it's something on the head, and I don't want to give everything away here. I, I want people to, sure. you know, uh, tune in and watch it, and I will describe it uh, in detail then. But there's something on the top of the head that uh, one of the eyewitnesses described, and it's on this. Particular creature on the slide, it, it, and there's no way anybody could have known that. Anybody that was hoaxing something like that could have known that, and it jumped right out at me. And I said, "Oh my goodness, that's a, that's why Dan Dwyer called it the Child of the Earth, and, and it's there for uh, for certainly myself to see. But uh, and I will describe it in detail."
2: Okay, Tom, uh, Tom, and uh, Don, stay put. We will continue to talk about. This incredible photographic evidence, a slide purportedly of some alien creature. We'll find out more when we resume our conversation with Don Schmidt, Tom Carey. RoswellInvestigator.com is the website and the books. Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson, Witness to Roswell, and the Roswell Dig Diaries, sci-fi declassified. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away.
1: Question... Everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
2: Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, joins us at the bottom of the hour right now. Tom Carey and Don Schmidt. Roswell investigators extraordinaire uh, join us to discuss the Roswell slides. And as uh, uh, Tom and Don pointed out, uh, this is a term that is being used by the skeptics, the debunkers, that are trying to link uh, these uh, slides uh, purporting to show the image of a, uh, an alien body, perhaps, uh, on some sort of a, uh, an examination table that were discovered uh, a number of years ago. Uh these are the terms used again by the debunkers or the the term Roswell slides and and, and Tom and uh, Don are issuing the caveat that listen they are not linking these images to Roswell and the uh, the Roswell UFO crash incident uh, does not uh, hang on the uh I guess the uh, the evidence uh, whatever that may be regarding these slides now it's it's possible though that that there is a connection here is that right
4: Absolutely. Just for the the, the dating of the slides from 1947 to 1949, and as we will be demonstrating at the event in May, that there were specific uh, areas that the photographers visited during that time period that were clearly linked to Roswell, and the fact that both of them worked not only in western Texas, but also New Mexico at that time. And I think above everything else, the, the circle of friends who they associated with, and um, I don't think it's news to uh, the, the general public at the moment, the fact that uh, they were very closely linked to the Eisenhowers, President Eisenhower, who was chief of staff of the Army in 1947.
2: In fact, these slides it would
4: appear that they were granted certain privileges at that time, uh, and it may indeed have stemmed from Roswell. But that again, the, the, the slides cannot prove that. No, so we can only speculate.
2: And, and the, the individual who who is in possession of these slides, how did how did he discover them, and and um, where you know where did he find them?
6: The uh, the owner of the slides, uh, uh, first of all, the the, the the couple that took them uh was, they, they were uh the the wife was a uh, Midland Texas lawyer high powered lawyer in Midland Texas her husband was a field oil geologist as uh don said where part of his uh, territory was uh, New Mexico and uh the slides came into the possession of the current owners in uh Around 1990, the, the, uh, the husband died in uh, 1982, and the lawyer wife died in 1988. And during a clean-out of their house and the garage, one of the uh, uh, people who was part of the cleanup crew discovered this, this huge box of color slides, Kodachrome slides. And uh, she said, oh, these look interesting, so she kept them. She took them, instead of taking them to the dumpster, she took them for herself, because nobody wanted them. And uh, the the couple uh, had no uh, children, so no one claimed them. So she kept them, and uh, she didn't look at them for a number of years. And uh, she finally looked at them, and, and, and these two slides in question were separated from all of the others. There were over 400 slides in total, but there were these two that were taped in an envelope to the underside of the uh, the lid to the box. So she looked at those, and she got spooked. She says, oh, my goodness, I don't, I don't like these. And uh, she shipped the whole box to uh, her relative, who uh, has them now. He was no UFO guy, but he looked at those two slides, and he goes, oh, my goodness, uh, I don't know what this is. I wonder if they're, you know, anything to do with, uh, you know, he had heard about Roswell, and uh, this is just uh, three or four years ago now. And uh, so he looked at them and said, oh, I better contact somebody who knows something about this, because I don't know anything about it. So from date of discovery, which was around 1990, until we got involved was uh, three years ago. So that's how that's how long we're talking about.
2: Explain how this is going to play out on on May the 5th and the unveiling of these slides.
4: Well, Richard, even before that, I'd like to at least explain uh, so many of the critics again, why has it taken you three years? Why has it taken so long? And the greatest obstacle, the biggest difficulty we've had, well, there actually have, have been two. First of all, it's like possessing a piece of physical evidence, a piece of debris, for example, from the crash site. And you just can't mail it, ship it across the country back and forth, asking uh, experts to look at it, to examine it, to analyze it. So as Tom, I mean, as we have traveled from one end of the country back and forth, trying to find experts just to take a look, examine, tell us what this is. And as the MUFON consultant in anthropology told us, you will not find a single American scientist who will give you an honest assessment of this. So, And we have found that to exactly be the case. They, don't, they won't even look at it. They refuse to even look at it. And it's one of the reasons we've had to rely almost strictly on foreign experts, foreign scientists, pathologists, anthropologists, forensic experts and this will be part of the event part of the program in May that all of these analytical reports all of the analyses all of the named experts as well as the photographic experts who examine there's a placard very fuzzy that cannot be legibly read by the naked eye yet we've had everyone from Dr. David Rudiak to Studio Macbeth even uh, the Photo Interpretation Department of the Pentagon, as well as Adobe, have all told us that um, it's beyond the pale, that it cannot be read, it is, it's, it's its totally up to interpretation. So we we truly feel we have performed due diligence, we've done everything we can to substantiate and prove what is contained within these slides, whether it is Something of a human malady or something truly extraordinary.
2: And uh, again, how uh, how will people be able to, to, to see this unveiling?
6: Uh, it, uh, we're, it's going to take place at the uh, 10,000 seat national auditorium in Mexico City, but it will be streamed worldwide over the internet and uh, they can access the streaming. For a small fee, of course, uh, by it at the uh, website www.bewitness. That's B E W I T N E S S. It's all one word. www.bewitness.org. They can uh, access the Internet stream by going to that website.
2: And in what time will that be on May 5th? This is going to stream live, presumably.
6: That is a good question, Richard. Uh, well,
4: well, we're going, I mean, it's Central Standard Time, but we're going throughout the entire afternoon into the early evening. So that information would all
2: be part of that uh, live stream site. Okay, and again, the, the, the website, if people want to, to, to watch the stream again?
6: www.bewitness, that's B-E-W-I-T-N-E-S-S. Witness.org.
2: And why Mexico City for the unveiling?
6: Well, Richard, as Don said, the uh, American media were not interested. They were not interested. American anthropologists were not interested.
4: Don, uh, why don't you just I, mention, I, I mean, just the way you practically had the door slammed in your face on occasions.
6: I will There's say, no other... uh, Richard, that uh, uh, two anthropologists that didn't. Did give us a, an opinion. We're Canadian, like, and they will be uh, they will be highlighted in the in the uh, rollout as well. But uh, we are thankful for that. Uh, one lives in Toronto, as a matter of fact.
2: Ah, fascinating. All right. right, just not far from where I'm sitting. Okay, or somewhere in the city where I'm sitting.
6: Yes, I, I will. I won't tell you who it is, but he's uh, he lives in Toronto, actually Kingston, but he's. He lives. Uh, he's in Toronto quite often.
2: All right, where do you, where do you place these slides in terms of the accumulation of evidence over the years for extraterrestrials visiting this planet? I mean, we have things like the you know the Twining memo and uh, eyewitness accounts uh, from from Roswell. Where do these slides fit in in terms of their importance in your mind?
4: Well, for all of the experts who have been brave enough to look at the slides. And for their constantly reassuring us that it is of no human condition, nothing that they have ever seen before, Uh, over 400 pictures, 400 mummies, for example, mummified remains have been examined, have been looked at. Those have all been eliminated. Uh, I mentioned the uh, forensic experts, the pathologists that have looked at the slides and they can all tell us what it isn't i mean the final conclusion may indeed be this is not human this is not of any human you know condition that they have ever seen can we prove it's an alien well a picture unfortunately can't do that we don't have the dna we don't have a tissue sample we can't do that but for those who are open minded objective in their reasoning as to if they can accept that we're not alone, that we are being visited. There had to have been pictures taken. There had to have been people who were availed an opportunity to see what was recovered, and possibly at Roswell in 1947. And we're not going to be the... Group of individuals who always live by the by the model anything but extraterrestrial anything but ET.
6: Richard, if I could jump yes. in just for a second, uh, as far as the importance of the slides, it w- it, they are right up at the top uh, because the uh, skeptic's position is: well, sh- show me some physical evidence. Well, we can't we can't bring in a tail light or a turn signal from the crashed craft. So a, a document of some sort would be uh, paramount, and uh, we would consider a uh, a photograph as a, as a, akin to a document. And uh, given the age of these slides and what they looked like, uh, it's uh, I would place it right above the so-called Ramey memo, which is uh, heretofore a smoking gun of the of the uh, Roswell incident. I, w- I would consider this one step above. The uh, the Ramey the Raimi memo smoking gun. This would be also a smoking gun type of uh, piece of evidence.
2: Well, where there are two slides, uh, perhaps there are more, and where there are slides, perhaps there are, there is sixteen millimeter footage. I mean, do you do you think? Do you hope? I'm guess. I'm, I'm guessing you would say yes that, that there are you know there will be more people coming out of the uh, out of the woodwork at some point.
4: As we have often uh, even named individuals in, uh, in our books uh, I, I, who comes to mind immediately is Frederick Benthoff for example he was a photographer from Washington that was brought in to take pictures of the uh, recovered bodies and we have named other photographers who were brought into Roswell who were, it were uh, assigned to photograph every phase every step of the retrieval of the recovery operation so we know we know there is film. We know there are thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of photographs for such a monumental event. And now for even our colleagues to say, well, yeah, they took pictures, but why should we believe that you guys managed to acquire a couple of slides? Well, we'd love to believe the idea, just as you mentioned, Richard, that if there are two now, there could be more, and that this possibly may open a spigot, at least that may provide additional information that substantiates what we're going to release in May.
2: May 5th, 2015, you can watch the live stream at bewitness.org, witness.org There's a small fee. Uh, and on that date, May 5th, they will unveil these slides, you will see the, the images on these slides, and uh, this could be a very historic occasion. Mark it on your calendar, BeWitness.org. Uh, Tom Carey, Don Schmidt, RoswellInvestigator.com, thank you so much for this. Thank, thank you as Richard. always, Richard. Pleasure speaking with you. Pleasure is all mine. Tom Carey, course, Don next Schmidt. next time. Absolutely. Thank you. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal news roundup on the other side. Keep listening, The Conspiracy Show. When in doubt,
0: blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. The truth will set you free, but first it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio,
2: AM 740. Welcome back. I always look forward to this time of the month when we receive a visit. From one of the leading experts on the paranormal, she has written more than 60 books. Published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias, her work is translated into 15 languages. She's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting, and teaching. Her present work focuses in on interdimensional entity contact experiences of all kinds, technological and mediumistic spirit communications, spiritual growth and development, problem hauntings and portals, or geographic areas of intense paranormal activity. She spends a great deal of her time out in the field conducting investigations and research. She's done groundbreaking research on shadow people and the djinn. Rosemary Ellen Guiley has studied energy healing, completed advanced training in bioenergy under MyTech and Margaret uh, Wirkus, Level 1 Soul Hearing, Soul Healing, rather, under Francesca Zarnicki, and Therapeutic Touch under Dolores Krieger. She's a Renaissance woman, and I'm happy to say that she's joining us at our Follow the Truth Summit coming up on April the 26th, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you?
7: I've had a terrific weekend in Kent, Ohio, Richard, at a paranormal conference, a terrific crowd. I was very well-received with my presentation on the gin. I'm happy to report that more and more investigators are taking note of this subject and incorporating it into their own research.
2: Well they're following your lead, uh, Rosemary, because to my mind you have emerged as the world's foremost authority in this this fascinating area, uh, the gin.
7: I certainly have. I I never planned it that way but it's worked out that way. Uh, I have done groundbreaking research on the gin, and it really has captured a lot of attention.
2: Well one of the the things that you uh, pointed out to me many years on this program uh, and obviously, you've written about this. Is that that the, the, you believe that the jinn uh, may, in fact, lie at the root of most paranormal activity, or me, you know, including shadow people, even alien abductions, which which leads us to our first story in our paranormal news roundup. And uh, we go to uh, to China for this one. China, of course, the world's most populous country, was, uh, one of the world's leading economies, a huge army. Uh, but it does lag behind in one particular area, and that is in alien encounters. I mean, there's been a number of, of uh, high-case or, or high-profile uh, UFO sightings over airports and so forth. They've shut airports down. But we don't hear many uh, cases of alien encounters until now. And uh, tell us about the case of this Chinese lumberjack who claims he actually slept with an alien. And this is not uh, a joke. This is not off the cover of the Weekly World News.
7: It's said that he's the first person in China to have slept with an alien. I suspect not. I suspect there have been many cases in China. They're just not reported because ufology is not very well supported in a country. It's kind of tolerated, but uh, I think many people are afraid to come forward. These alien encounters are worldwide, and why would China be excluded from that? But here's the story with this fellow, and it goes back to 1994, he and he, he and his wife were living in a very rural area. Uh, local uh, legend has that people there were kind of, you know, a little on the crazy side because they were so isolated. But uh, he claims that one night um, or uh, he saw a, a flash on a nearby mountain, thought something had crashed, like a helicopter, and he was going to go salvage the metal. And he gets out there and is knocked out and has missing time. And then later, uh, at a later time, then he has this really weird experience where he wakes up, he's floating over his bed while his wife is sleeping beneath him, and this enormously tall, over six feet tall, alien woman whose thighs, inner thighs are covered with this long braided hair, gets on top of him and they have sex for 40 minutes. Uh, and then he has another experience uh where he also floats up over his bed goes through a map that he has hanging, is taken aboard a spacecraft where he's told that in 60 years uh, a son is going to be born, uh, who is, they hint that it's going to be his son, the Chinese peasant son. So the story is made public and he really is ridiculed, like many contactees are, uh, to the point where he's often sorry that he said anything at all and People said, well, he was drinking, or uh, there's this imagination. Uh, These are common arguments immediately applied to contactees. But the elements of his story are very similar to other stories told by contactees around the world. So I believe that there's merit to his experience.
2: Uh, This encounter with, uh, I believe he said she was 10 foot, 10 and a half feet tall, six fingers, this female, we assume, female uh, alien uh, that... uh, uh, he had relations with uh, the, the the details are quite remarkable uh, braided hair on on the inner thighs have you heard anything like this before I mean you say there are some parallels what, what, what uh, we've just got about a minute here but tell me uh, if you've heard any there of this are, before uh,
7: uh, and we, we find them in gin cases too or un, unknown alien cases where people encounter uh, human-like Uh, entities that are covered with long hair, and sometimes it's stringy. This is the first time I've heard of braided hair, but the long hair on human-like aliens is reported in uh, not a great deal of cases, but enough to warrant it as a pattern kind of experience.
2: All right, Rosemary, we'll take a time out when we come back on the other side. Uh, We'll talk about... A a case of a Russian ape woman, as she was described, and now DNA or perhaps uh, some other type of forensic evidence may suggest she was, in fact, a yeti and a scientific uh, answer to the ghost phenomena. It may have to do with the very air that we breathe. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
0: Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Serrett, from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416 360 0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1 866 740 4740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's
1: looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416 360 0740 or toll free in Ontario. 1-866-740-4740. One eight six six seven forty four seven forty
2: and we are back with rosemary Ellen guyley uh let's go back to the nineteenth century uh rosemary and uh there was a uh, a woman she was called an ape woman and uh now there's some suggestion this was written up in the daily Mail in uh, in the United Kingdom uh, that this this uh, ape woman may have in fact been a yeti. What can you tell us about her she
7: uh, she was another big, hairy being and uh, had these uh, ape-like characteristics to her. She was incredibly strong, stronger than most of the men uh, who had encountered her. She could uh, run as fast as a horse. She was um, had wild characteristics and animal-like uh, visage on her face. And she was called an ape woman, and she was trapped by hunters. Uh, She was impregnated by four different men, so she has descendants. I don't think she was uh, a yeti. I think she was an unusual human being. Uh, In fact, uh, a modern scientist who was able to get DNA from her descendants identified her as coming from Africa, but uh, said she was very interesting because her DNA didn't belong to any known group. So the, the speculation was that perhaps her ancestors had migrated to the Caucasus. Uh, this was in uh, a region that was once part of Georgia, and that uh, they had been so isolated that uh, they had never developed the way most other human beings had. Uh, it doesn't make her a Yeti, uh, and I think that the experts are kind of looking in the wrong direction for this, because all the characteristics of uh, the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, uh, these big, hairy-like entities, Uh, they they don't act like uh, people, they don't leave DNA, they don't leave carcasses, bones, or any evidence. They seem to come and go interdimensionally. That's been one of the curious things about them. And no one's ever been able to capture any uh, physical evidence um, that stands up to scientific scrutiny. All we have are subjective sightings and some photographs and controversial videos. So I think uh, some experts here may be trying to marry two different things. Uh, to me, it's like fitting a square peg into a round hole. Uh,
2: the, uh, the the uh, person who conducted the DNA testing, Professor Brian Sykes of the University of Oxford, analyzed the DNA of her four living relatives. Were, these are grandchildren who still reside in the Caucasus region. Uh, and as you say, he found West African genes. But why then would he go on to speculate that perhaps uh, Zena, as she was known, was somehow a Yeti. I mean, where does he get that from?
7: It's like the idea that if you're big and hairy, you've got to be related to Bigfoot. Uh, and it just doesn't compute. And in fact, we have other cases uh, from uh, the 1800s and even into the 1900s of wild hairy men being uh, seen uh, in various places around the world. In the 1930s, for example, there was uh, a famous case of a wild hairy man seen in the hills near Vancouver, B.C. And uh, many people saw this uh, uh, ape-like man who ran around naked, which Vanna, the, the alleged Yeti woman, did as well, um, out living in the wilds. So uh, these might be unusual people. Uh, I think the professor is right about that. She's very unusual as a human being, but it just doesn't translate across this huge gulf into the, the mystery creature of Sasquatch, Yeti, the abominable snowman, these various terms for this other creature.
2: Rosemary Ellen Guile is with us, our paranormal investigator, who joins us uh, once a month on our paranormal news roundup, and uh, her website is visionaryliving.com. Get on up to her bookstore uh, she has penned no fewer than 60 uh on the paranormal supernatural arena uh now an interesting study by a us university uh that shows there may be a possible link uh between the um the air quality of a room and the hauntings reported uh to have been in it or to have been seen in it what do you what do you make of this study that perhaps spores or toxic air causing hallucinations may be at the bottom of hauntings, Rosemary.
7: Very slim evidence, and this is another big stretch in my book. Um, There have been uh, speculations uh, on the effects of mold and uh, toxic things in the air on other kinds of paranormal or crazy cases, like the Salem witchcraft hysteria from 1692 Uh, has been blamed by some experts on mold in the rye bread that they were eating. Uh, And there's evidence that, yes, certain kinds of mold uh, in the air and food can cause hallucinations and fantasies in some people, but it's not enough to cover all ghost cases. And uh, I think that uh, these researchers here are on pretty slim ground. Uh, they might find some parallel, but uh, it doesn't account for the haunting activity that goes on in millions of places, uh, outdoors as well as indoors.
2: That's a great point. Uh, and the researchers are from Clarkson University in New York, and uh, they admit, you know, that uh, the uh, the links are not as well established at the moment. Uh, but they say many hauntings are associated with prime environments to harbor molds. But as you say, uh, you know there are hauntings in outdoor locations. Anyone who has uh, uh, been, for example, to a Civil War battlefield and uh, and, re- and and recorded uh, EVPs or photographed uh, strange activity uh, can attest to that. I don't think you would find mold uh, outdoors in a battlefield. Uh, but I mean, it's possible that in some cases uh, that this could be the, uh, the, the what's what's behind it. Um, when you there go, tenuous link. Well, is that something that, for example, you might consider checking out? If you were investigating a haunting in a house, would you routinely check for a mold infestation?
7: Uh, I never have myself, and uh, I can't think of any other investigators who've incorporated that into uh, trying to identify natural causes. Uh, It would require some substantial testing of of, uh, air quality, uh, but here again, I don't think that you could link every single paranormal phenomena uh, phenomenon to uh, something like mold that might be uh, floating around in an air system. And it would have to affect percipients on a fairly uniform basis, uh, which paranormal phenomena do not. Uh, you can take several people in any given environment, and they're not going to experience haunting activity equally. You also have brand-new homes where activity is reported because uh, it, it seems to be linked to energy in the land. So here, the mold argument would just fall completely
2: down. That's a great point uh, in, in terms of new constructions because in this article, uh, it, it, it um, shows a picture of the Frederick Remington Museum in New York, uh, which is also known for its reported hauntings. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you, have you investigated the Frederick Remington Museum? I have not, uh, but I'm looking at a picture of it, and it's completely modern and refurbished. Uh, you know, it does not look like a, a place where you would, you know, you'd have a, a mold problem. Well, you know, it's, it's perhaps worthy of further investigation. It may be one small piece of the puzzle. It's possible that, you know, certain hauntings could be attributed to that. But as you say, there is no way that you can account for, uh, for all ha- hauntings, places in, in new constructions, uh, outdoors, and so forth. Uh, this next story is, uh, is a remarkable one. I had not heard this before. This is the story of a ghost who solved her own murder. Set the stage for us, Rosemary.
7: This is a famous case, and I've written about it in a couple of my my own books. It's the only known case uh, of a ghost that went to court to solve her own murder. And her testimony was allowed in court. You can imagine that happening today. This happened back in the uh, late 19th century in a remote place in West Virginia, where a young woman named Zona... um, Hester married uh, a stranger who came to town named Edward. Uh, he went by the nickname Trout Shoe. He was kind of a ne'er-do-well fellow, and uh, they married very quickly. And within months of being married, she was mysteriously found dead. And uh, a servant boy found her uh, in in her home. It appeared that her neck had been broken, uh, and... Uh, she was uh, quickly buried. Her husband uh, wouldn't allow a doctor to uh, examine her, uh, claimed it was an accident while he was away working. Um, Zona's mother was very suspicious of her son-in-law, whom she tested. And uh, she, she took the winding sheet off Zona's body and claimed later that when she went to wash it, it turned blood red. And this to her was a sign that foul play had taken place.
2: I'm sorry, what type of sheet was it?
7: It was the winding sheet. A sheet. Uh, a sheet, sheet. That wrapped, wrapped around a corpse.
2: Oh, like a shroud, you know, like almost like a scenario.
7: shroud. You're like a shroud.
2: Oh, I see. Okay.
7: And so she, she managed to get Zona's body exhumed because she went to the authorities and she claimed that her son-in-law had murdered her daughter. Uh, now, she had dreams on four nights. She wanted to know the truth. She was visited by the ghost of her daughter in her dreams uh, over four nights, and the dead Zona explained in detail how uh, Trout had strangled her. He'd gotten mad at her. He was, had an abusive temper. He had strangled her and murdered her. He, and she, her description was that he squeezed off her vertebrae and squeezed off her neck at a certain vertebrae. It was a very odd description. Well, they dug up her body, and lo and behold, she had been strangled at exactly the spot where the ghost had claimed. So, uh, Trout was accused of murder, and he gloated that they would never pin any evidence on him. In jail, he talked about wanting to have seven wives, and Zona was the third wife, and, you know, he was going to get off and uh, go on to marry four more women. The testimony of the dead woman was admitted in court. Now, um, um, Zona's mother, Mary Jane Hester... Uh, was told by her own attorney, don't say anything about your dreams because the jury will think that you're kind of touched in the head. Uh, Oddly, it was the son-in-law's attorney who brought up the experiences in an attempt to discredit the mother. Right. And it backfired on him. The jury bought the whole story, uh, and Trout was convicted and sent to prison where he died of illness about three years later, a lynch party tried to get him out of jail and lynch him. They were so upset uh-huh. So that he wound up dying in prison.
2: So there you go. A, the testimony from beyond the grave of Mary Jane Hester um, convicted her uh, her killer. Remarkable story. Uh, Rosemary, and you tell it so well. I appreciate it. Uh, again, the website Visionary Living, and we're very excited uh, that you will be up here in uh, just two weeks' time for our Follow the Truth to uh, our paranormal experiment live on stage in spirit communication. Thanks, Rosemary.
7: I will see you soon, Richard.
2: Bye-bye. And uh, goodbye Bye. goodbye to you. Uh, goodbye to you all. Uh, Tim Spreen, thank you. Sebastian, uh, the Albert, uh, Albert, and Eric, the interns, back next week with a brand new show. Hope to see you then. Move over, Alfredo. I Come on. Good night.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.